The TNT Shop has great gift ideas for your furry family member at tntradio.live. This is The Chris Smith Show on today's News Talk TNT Radio. G'day, g'day. Welcome to the program. I hope you're well. I hope you're getting through your day, your afternoon, morning or night, wherever you may be listening and viewing what we do here at TNT. It's good to have your company. Um, we're video streaming, as you may know, although some people are still slowly coming back to the workplace. I'm getting emails regularly from people saying, oh, you're back on. Well, I'm back watching. Um, well, you've got to spread the word and let people know that we are on just about every video streaming site right around the world. Um, I can't think of any we're not on. So that's why I qualify that with just about every streaming site. But if you want to look at your videos, this is the place to do so. If you follow your news and your opinion, this is exactly what you should be doing. And by the way, spread the word. Um, first up, as schools in the United States return to normality, some are beginning to adopt, at least for the first term of 2024, some new and brave approaches to school safety. They're training teachers to bear arms and use those weapons in times of attack. Now, I'll have the full story on this shortly, not just one school. Uh, there are several states who are offering teachers training in how to handle arms inside the classroom. This is something that Donald Trump in particular, has been very supportive of. Despite his grilling, some schools have adopted this, and I have a feeling that many more will throughout the various terms of 2024. We'll get to that. My special guest today is a fellow by the name of Tom Harris. He's a Canadian mechanical engineer and scientist who's the executive director of the International Climate Science Coalition. Look, let me sum up what Tom Harris is all about. He believes we should stop spending trillions and trillions of dollars and send our economies broke, trying to allegedly save the planet, because that won't happen, when we could simply adapt to any changing weather conditions anywhere in the world at a fraction of the cost. Now, that to me is awfully practical. It's full of common sense and it's something that should be heard, which is why I've asked Tom Harris to come on to the program today and I'm looking forward to that. I've got an update for you too in our exclusive investigation into illicit drug selling on Facebook. And worse still, I've got a response from New South Wales Police as to what this exotic house syndicate is up to, whether they've come before notification of police before, and what police intend to do about their sales of illicit drugs through advertising paid for on Facebook. Now, there, there are rules within Facebook that say that that is illegal. It is happening. We've proven it. We've now seen it operate. You can see it for yourself. It's called Exotic House. Have a look for the account. Uh, if you're lucky and you're on Marketplace, it may pop up as an ad, as it did for one of our listeners. But wait till you hear what and how police decided to respond to that investigation. From down under today, two very incisive and experienced commentators, New South Wales Independent MLC, Mark Latham, and news executive and multimedia host, Jason Morrison. 
will feature in our second hour. Lots to talk about from that part of the world, including this outrageous decision by supermarket giant Woolworths to boycott Australia's National Day. No more merchandise related to Australia Day will be sold at Woolworths. A short time ago, the opposition leader federally, Peter Dutton, uh, made an announcement and said, as a result, people should not shop at Woolworths. Well, I've already decided that that is the end. Um, unless they replace the board, you can forget about me walking into a Woolworths store ever again. They have a direct competitor in Coles, and that's exactly the shop that I'll be shopping in from now on. We'll talk about the fake attempt by the Labor government to adjust supermarket prices as well. It is fake. It is insincere. And by the way, it is impossible. And uh, what about the ignorant governments of the world who failed to pursue the possibilities of small nuclear reactors? Well, they are being told by security experts, mining giants, and also Westinghouse today that you are being and being left behind by the rest of the world unless you pursue the possibilities. We'll talk about all of that on the program today. Some great issues to jump onto, not just for our guests and our commentators, but for you. So you can jump on our talkback lines. You can do that very easily from the United States or Canada. And the number is 1-888-201-6425. From the UK, 0330024-1026. And from Australia and New Zealand, it's 1-800-670-310. You're with Chris Smith. We're broadcasting live from Sydney, Australia, on the Global News Talk Network, TNT. The facts. No spin or agenda. Not enough with the lies. We need the facts. This is today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Well, the sands may shift very quickly throughout the next 10 months as we lead up to the US presidential election. Now, Joe Biden jumped out of the blocks in the first week of the year talking about upholding democracy, which I thought was fanciful and highly hypocritical given the fact that his administration has been weaponizing the judiciary like no other administration in the history of the constitution against his opponent. So much for democracy. But an old chestnut is about to return to the election debating arena, school safety and guns. And it's not because some politician has decided they should run with this, although it has been mentioned at a couple of these GOP debates. A private Christian school in Iowa has announced that some of its staff will be armed whilst on school grounds in a bid to better protect the school population from deadly attacks. We are not talking just about security guards. We are talking about the teachers. The superintendent of Siouxland Christian School, Lindsay Lorich, said in a letter to the school community late last week, the staff who've been selected and trained will remain anonymous. And with God's help, this layer of protection will never need to be deployed. We expect no changes to the day-to-day -day experiences of students and staff. It is a gutsy move. And to their credit, they're protecting the identities of the staff involved. And that makes sense because not only could there be a local pushback against some of the teachers who are carrying arms uh, in the company of children, uh, but more importantly, those who are targeting certain schools may be very interested in who's armed and who's not. 
So the last thing you need to do is tell people that the history teacher is armed, but the math teacher is not. I think that's smart. Now, under the Second Amendment, teachers have always been able to carry weapons. A lot of people don't know that, but they have under federal law. But it's been controlled primarily over the years by district boards, education boards, and the individual choice of staff members, who up until now, until recently, have decided they do not want to carry guns into a classroom. But it's been something Republican presidential frontrunner Donald Trump has been urging for years now. And it was only 12 months ago when he had his last say on the topic. And that was, ironically enough, when this Iowa school decided to investigate the possibilities. Here he is 12 months ago at that NRA conference. Surely we can all agree our school should not be the softest target. Our school should be the single hardest target in our country. And that's why, as part of a comprehensive school safety plan, it's time to finally allow highly trained teachers to safely and discreetly concealed carry. Let them concealed carry. Even if every decent and honest American gave up their guns, the criminals would never give up theirs, and they never will. They're never going to give up theirs. They would wreak havoc like never before in our country. The fact is there will always be sick and demonic souls who wish to harm the innocent and see malice triumph over good. He was pilloried for that, Donald Trump, as he is just about everything that comes out of his mouth. But he's right. And yes, more needs to be done to weed out the individuals in local areas who may pose the greatest risk to a school, maybe exhibiting mental instability, but school shootings won't ever end. If you think that kind of approach will end school shootings, I'm sorry, you're living in fairyland, school shootings will never end in the United States of America. Now, It's one thing to go down the path of trying to detect those who pose a danger. You cannot leave it to one measure entirely to stop kids being killed or teachers being killed in the school playground. You've got to arm them, surely, in the unlikely event that they are attacked. So why not train teachers properly, properly, don't just tell them to take their guns to school, train them properly and have them armed as a last line of defence. According to Fox News, the announcement comes after a mass shooting at Perry High School in Iowa, left a sixth grader killed and four other students and a staffer injured. Lindsay Lorich's letter states, it is an unfortunate reality that schools have become the target of those who wish to do evil. Around our nation, and sadly more close to home, we see threats emerging on a regular basis. And Iowa isn't the only state taking up these options. Three months ago, school corporations in Indiana announced that they were in the process of setting up armed response teams that train staff on the use of deadly force and allow teachers to access firearms locked up in biometric safes. Even the fact that shooters are aware of which schools have carried out this training has got to be an automatic deterrent, I would have thought. It's got to be a good thing. Indiana lawmakers recently allocated more than $100,000 
to offer firearm training to teachers and those who volunteer to join an armed response team on site. Now, this training includes passing a psychological screening, which is important, and completing a minimum 40.5 hours of firearms training, which is not insignificant. The group conducting this new curriculum of training in Indiana for teachers is a group called Bear Arms. Trainer Derek Turner says the initial uptake has been promising. For some districts, counties, municipalities, town marshals, they don't have the manpower to do that. They can fill that void and the kids can be protected by somebody who's adequately trained. Back to Siouxland Christian School, Fox Digital reported today that the school board and administration have developed the process for selecting and training staff with input from law enforcement. They haven't gone about this overnight or wrote it on a back of a coaster. This has been 12 months in the making. They've confided with law enforcement. They've sought their advice. They've been speaking with their insurance carrier, legal advisors, and industry experts. A Fox News poll, this is interesting, from August 2022, showed then that 48% of people favour arming teachers, 48%, while experts say that hardening schools with armed guards, armed teachers, and additional safety measures, such as security cameras and heavy doors, help better protect students and staff from potential tragedy. Now, while most teachers who, you know, entered the profession some decades ago never imagined in their wildest dreams that they would one day be trained off-site to carry and use firearms at school, it just shows how dramatically their job, their environment, the school landscape has changed. It's changed dramatically. It's a fact of life. And you can't just avoid it and think it's a little change if we just look after those who are mentally disabled, who may pose a threat to the school. Yeah, sure. That's one way to go about it. And it should be pursued, but it's not the be all and the end all. It seems to me to be the obvious next step for schools right across America. And uh, a point which Donald Trump, no doubt, will highlight as we get through this election campaign of 2024. This is TNT. TNT Radio's Joe Hoft. Just a terrible situation there, and Biden was behind it pushing these arms, pushing billions of dollars over there. We don't know where that money went. I'll bet you money. I'll bet you a huge percent uh, went, to, I bet you more than 50% didn't go to the uh, to the people or to the war. Uh, it went to people's pockets, kind of like what we have in, in uh, Palestine. Uh, with the U.S. Since, since, well, under Biden, uh, Trump shut this down, thank God, but under Biden, Obama, they started sending billions over to uh, that part of the world. These people are, have been after Israel forever and, and uh, supported by Iran and billions of dollars going their way and uh, to help them, uh, you know, basically uh, create chaos in the Middle East, terrorism, and, and we saw what happened earlier this year, about a month ago, uh, the two went attack in Israel and the death and destruction, rape and kidnapping, more than 240 people kidnapped. Joe Hoft on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. I wanted to alleviate my pain. I also didn't want to be who I was. I always just felt like there was just something wrong with me and I was trying to figure it out and I used the internet to help me do that. 
Seemingly out of nowhere, we've suddenly seen a huge spike in media depictions and social media depictions of transgenderism. It's even reached the mainstream advertising world. The people who are consuming this are children, 13, 14, 15 years old. And it's so easy for them to literally be groomed. I just woke up one day, looked at myself in the mirror, and asked myself, what the heck am I doing? When trans-identified kids are referred to specialized gender clinics, they're often told that they're going to get comprehensive, multidisciplinary mental health assessments. We know that that's not true. I was easy to manipulate. The ideology that has become dominant at these clinics is that trans kids know who they are, and therefore to question them is completely taboo. My childhood was ruined. Who's there for their detransitioning? Nobody. Nobody would help me because they had more concerns of me reversing everything. Did this thing to alleviate this gender dysphoria that wasn't there before, but you made it into a problem, and now your body image issues are worse. That's not supposed to happen. What do we do now? D-Trans, the dangers of gender-affirming care. For more information, go to PragerU.com. If you're talking about it, we're talking about it. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Hey, good to have your company. A lot of reaction on our chat box and also through our email inbox in reference to my comments at the start of the program about the schools that are now training teachers to bear arms and be able to handle their guns in the improbable case of an attack in their classroom or school grounds. Interesting. And I love when we get reaction on both sides of the argument. That's the best form of debate. It opens up both sides of the argument. It's no good having a one-sided debate. And I, I noticed that Chip Wanch is uh, a fellow who, or a woman, I don't know the gender, who cares? But I don't think he or she agrees with what I had to say because he or she has said, hey there, Chris, well, maybe each classroom should have its own small armoury, say the traditional AR-15 with spare mags or, of course, a semi-automatic handgun of choice with mags also. And, of course, they should be trained in defensive measures and a proper use of firearms. I, I, I see the cynicism that you display, chimp watch, and I get it. I get it. It's something that if you do not come from America, you probably grapple with the idea of an armed population. Uh, whereas Robert says there is only one thing that can be said of the loony left, that they are afraid of the truth. Well, the loony left doesn't want a bar of teachers having guns, but it is something that each and every school needs to come to grips with. And a comment here from Australia, from Arthur, Arthur says, aren't we lucky we don't have the problem of school shootings here in Australia, Chris? What are we doing right? Well, we don't have that amendment that says we can and should carry arms. That's the first thing. And secondly, we don't have a culture of it. And in Australia's case, I think, I think that's a good place to be for many, many reasons. But Arthur, thank you very much for your email. Well, now we've got through COP28, and I went through it um, very thoroughly during the early part of December when it was held. And we spoke about the resolutions or the fake resolutions that they came up with. And we wondered what kind of policy would ensue from governments that were very much on the side of green evangelism and global boiling being stopped and, of course, changing the temperature of the planet. My next guest knows this subject 
through and through. Tom Harris is Executive Director of the International Climate Science Coalition and a policy advisor to the Heartland Institute. He's got 40 years experience as a mechanical engineer, project manager, science and technology communications professional, technical trainer, and S&T advisor to a former opposition senior environment critic in Canada's parliament. For the past 14 years, he's been working with a team of scientists and engineers to promote a sensible approach to a range of energy and environmental topics, climate change in particular. In other words, how do we deal with any changes to our weather as opposed to spending trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars hoping and praying that we can somehow change the temperature of the planet. Tom joins us live from Ottawa in Canada. Tom Harris, welcome to TNT. Yeah, nice to see you, Chris. Good to have you on the program. We see some very alarmist headlines in media in reference to what is now described by the UN as global boiling. We saw a lot of those headlines during COP28. Uh, and even on Tuesday, a headline in The Guardian stated, 2023 smashes the record for the world's hottest year by a huge margin. Um, this, of course, creates a sense of fear. and um, much of the media this week um, has been on that same trajectory because of these recent some nations in data from 2023. Uh, this has been repeated by the European Union's Copernicus Climate Change Service. What do you make of the latest fear-mongering you've heard about global boiling? Well, I think it's one of the most successful, perhaps the most successful propaganda campaigns in history. I mean, if you think about it, the so-called global temperature, which doesn't exist, we might want to talk about that, but the so-called global temperature statistic has changed by 1.2 degrees Celsius since 1880. And that's such a small amount that you would not even feel it in your lifetime. And yet they're using that to say there's an existential threat to humankind. You know, I used to think there was. You know, back before the year 2000, I was actually writing articles and giving presentations talking about, you know, the terrible climate change that was occurring. And then a local geologist invited me into his lab and he showed me the history of the world since so about 550 million years ago that they've able they're able to determine with what are called proxies. And they can show temperature levels and CO2. And as you were discussing with Patrick Moore, CO2 has been 10 times higher in the past than it is today. We're at one mm. of the lowest levels of CO2 in Earth's history and also one of the lower temperatures. And he showed me, the geologist showed me, he said, well, there's no correlation. There are times when CO2 is enormously higher than today and the Earth is very cold. And I thought, hmm, is he a denier? You know, is he some sort of a, a right-wing denier? Well, <laughs> he put me in touch with other geologists. And geologists understand that, you know, the Earth changes massively on its own without our intervention. You know, we had the medieval warm period. Did we cause that a thousand years ago? Of course not. Mm. And so I think it's an incredible propaganda campaign that has been, unfortunately, very, very successful. And when you start talking about temperatures from one year, 2023, you don't measure any kind of major trajectory in the patterns of weather over a decade. You don't even do it over 50 years. You do it over a thousand plus years, don't you? Oh, yeah, exactly. And, and you know, the other thing that they talk about, and this is where you have to look at long-term trends, like you're saying, is extreme weather. 
And, you know, they're saying that extreme weather has become much worse because of climate change. Well, the best database in the world for a substantial area of the Earth is the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, that's NOAA, database. And they keep track of the highest temperature in every state in the Union, in the United States. They keep track of the lowest, the greatest wind speed, the most rain, the most snow, etc. And it's interesting because in 1936, in the middle of the Dust Bowl, they set 27 extreme weather records, one of them being temperature, but lots of other records. Uh, 27 states actually across the Union set, set records. And those records still stand today. They still stand today. Now, the interesting thing, Chris, is that this uh, just past year, 2023, there was one state that set a record in the U.S. in contrast to 27 in 1936. One state that was Colorado had the biggest hailstone in their history that they've recorded. It was over five, five and a half inches. Okay. Wow. That was the only record that was set. And in 2022, there were zero records set. So, you know, the propaganda campaign has been unbelievably successful because if you actually look at the real world data, there's nothing going on. I mean, yeah. nothing unusual at all. U.S. climate envoy John Kerry, who's a classic in this space, uh, made some extraordinary statements at last month's U.N. COP28 climate conference. Have a listen to the claims he made here. The crisis could not be more clear, and I'm not here to run through all of the evidence. But when it's 70 degrees above normal in the Arctic during the summer, this past summer, and 100 degrees Fahrenheit above normal in the Antarctic, and we're learning about this massive thousands of years of iceberg uh, that has broken off because it was stuck in the mud for years, but now it's melting away. And so it moved, and it's going out towards Georgia Island, and it will, along with 86 million metric tons a day from just one fjord up in the Greenland, continue to shock the scientists. And now we are hearing from the best scientists in the world that they're alarmed. Some say terrified. Others have altogether said we are in, are in uncharted territory. What's your response to John Kerry, Tom? Well, there's a couple of things. First of all, concerning supposedly the agreement of scientists, he obviously doesn't know about this. This is the non-governmental International Panel on Climate Change. In contrast to the IPCC, this is the NIPCC, which actually are not government supported. And what you see in here is you see thousands of references from peer-reviewed papers across the world from leading experts that show that there is no climate crisis. And, you know, it's interesting because I asked our local media, I asked them one of the sources, I can't say their name because they told me the answer in confidence, but I, I asked them, why do you only show one side? of the climate debate. And I showed them this, you know, there are thousands of scientists who disagree even locally here. And he said, oh, well, we agree with David Suzuki, who's our local environmentalist. And I said, yeah, but do you have anybody on staff who even has a degree in science to see, you know, to help them understand who's right? He said, no. I said, okay, so why do you only show the sensationalist point of view? And he finally admitted to me the truth. And I think this applies across the world. Not only does um, catastrophe cell media, but many of their advertisers, you know, car manufacturers, printers, people like that, they're using the climate scare to sell their products. They want to say things like, you know, buy our car and you'll reduce greenhouse gases. And the same thing with printers and all yeah. kinds of people. 
The last thing they want is somebody from a local university saying, well, we can't control climate change. I mean, that's impossible. So it's being driven largely by the money. And, and you know, it's interesting because the Climate Policy Initiative out of San Francisco, they track how much is being spent on the climate scare. And I'm a couple of years out of date. It's, it's probably more now. But they tracked over a billion U.S. dollars a day going into what they call climate finance. That would and, not surprise me. Would it surprise you? <laughs> no, not at all. And the biggest recipient of that billion dollars a day is wind and solar power. So it's a fantastic moneymaker for them. But, you know, as, as you pointed out when you're talking to Patrick Moore, who, by the way, is on our board, <laughs> ICSC Canada, that is, mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's it's the you you don't have wind and solar power if you don't have fossil fuels because not only do they contain a lot of plastic which requires oil to make but you got to you have to mine all the materials all the minerals the cobalt the lithium everything else to make your so-called green energy and i love the suggestion that you had that they should only build wind and solar power uh, facilities using wind and solar power <laughs> yes that would be a very clever trick yeah, that would that slow the whole thing down enormously. Yeah. And, you know, people if people want to see how environmentally unfriendly wind and solar power are, I suggest they take a look at the movie called Planet of the Humans by Michael Moore. Now, Michael Moore is a devout leftist, okay? Yeah. He's anything but, but a right-winger. And he shows that when you look at how wind and solar power are made and the mining and the shipping and everything else, they're probably the dirtiest energy source on the planet. I mean, literally the dirtiest. And, yep. you know, if you care about birds, you should really care about wind turbines because they're killing millions of birds. I mean, there's one wind farm in California called the Altamont Pass. And they kill, I think it's 117 golden eagles every year, but they get away with it, okay? Because what happens is the government, because this is supposedly green energy, <laughs> which it isn't, but they give them what's called a take permit, okay? It's a take permit. They can kill a certain number of golden eagles. If you or I came to California oh. and we killed a golden eagle, we'd go to jail. Exactly, okay? we would. I but, need to take a quick break. I need to take a quick sure. break, and I'll come back just for news right here on TNT. What time is it? Now, TNT Radio News. You know what time it is? Yeah. Time to read some news. Matt Boyland here with a quick look at your TNT headlines. There was high drama in Washington on Wednesday as the president's son, Hunter Biden, taunted congressional leaders by crashing his own contempt of Congress hearing. NATO member Finland is reportedly planning to extend its border closure with Russia for at least another month. And it's been revealed the war in Ukraine has led to a tenfold increase in the price of weapons and ammunition. On air and on the app. I listen on the app. Stay up to date around the clock. I listen, therefore I know. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. I'm very impressed, Tom Harris, that you bothered to spend some time listening to one of my former interviews with Patrick Moore. We have a great time together unpacking yeah. and picking apart the scaremongering that you hear almost weekly when it comes to global boiling. It's ridiculous. But the COP28 conference opened with a declaration on sustainable agriculture signed by more than 130 signatures. How concerning are the proposed changes to agriculture pushed by the UN? Um, they want to reduce gas emissions. They want to reduce cattle numbers. They want us to change our diet. Boy, oh boy, do we want to go back and live in primitive times? No. Yeah, 
Well, of course, what they're saying is that there's two sources besides carbon dioxide that are greenhouse gases that they're concerned about. And one of them's methane, mm. you know, and you have to realize that methane they measure in tiny, tiny amounts. And uh, William Happer, who works at, uh, he's a professor emeritus from uh, Harvard University, sorry, Princeton University. He's done a full spectral analysis to show how much would a doubling of CO2 cause, how much would a doubling of methane cause, how much would nitrous oxide cause, because that's what they're concerned about with fertilizer. And I'll tell you, it's virtually nothing. Because in the case of CO2, for example, the atmosphere does not respond linearly to an increase in CO2. In other words, when you go from, say, 100 parts per million to 200, you get a certain temperature change. But you don't get that amount of temperature change when you go from 420 that we are now to, let's say, 800. I mean, uh -huh. you, can, you can double the amount of CO2 that we have now up to 840. And we're going to talk about a very small temperature change because most of the temperature change that could occur has already occurred. And methane is even less influential. And of course, what they're concerned about with methane is flatulence from cows, you yeah. know, that sort of thing. So they want to get rid of the cows. But nitrogen is the other one they're concerned about, nitrous oxide, N2O. But N2O is even smaller in its impact. So if the CO2 impact is trivial, it's, it's almost insignificant at this point, at this concentration, then methane and nitrous oxide, according to Dr. Happer, and he's one of the leading experts in radiation physics around the world, he shows very clearly, people can search him out on the web, Happer, H-A-P-P-E-R, he shows that nitrous oxide and methane are even less than CO2. So we could literally double those gases and there'd be virtually no effect. With regards to CO2, though, we should want to double the gas because just like you and Patrick Moore were saying, I mean, it's plant food. In yeah. fact, if you look at look at people who study agriculture, they want to see a doubling of CO2. We, well, why do they pump it into greenhouses? It's because exactly. most of the, yeah, most it's of the plant plants food. Yeah, most of the plants in our environment evolved at a time when CO2 was much higher. So they're somewhat starved for CO2 at 420. They love it if you can pump it up to 800. So we should hope that CO2 continues to rise. Where is energy policy headed, though? Um, I'm detecting that more and more people are suspicious about the billions and trillions that are being spent on changing the temperature of the planet. I'm detecting that, not just from my own circle, but from circles that I end up meeting and connecting to that I don't normally speak with. I'm yeah. sensing it, but there's a great unwashed out there who have swallowed the fear-mongering, you know, lock, stock and barrel, and I just get the feeling that they don't understand how badly this is headed for economic disaster. That's right. And, you know, the, the best example I can point out is what happened in Texas in February 2021. Just before the storm hit, they had record low temperatures, the coldest in 30 years. Just before the storm hit, wind and solar were giving them more than half of their electricity. But the wind died. The sun, of course, went behind a cloud when the storm hit. And they had a massive, they lost 13,000 megawatts in just a few hours. Whoa. Okay, 13,000 megawatts in a few hours went totally offline. Now, they quadrupled their natural gas output because fortunately they hadn't gotten rid of it like Ottawa wants to where I live. 
it still couldn't keep up. And the net result after days of blackouts and people burning their furniture to stay warm and using gas ovens and everything else, the net result was $200 billion in damages and up to 700 people dead. Okay. Now that was a real wake up for Texas and they've done a reasonable job of improving their system, not becoming so reliant on wind and solar. But the trouble is, uh, Chris, I think this sort of thing has to happen repeatedly over and over and over and over across the world. For people to learn, for people to learn. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's going to take many more Texases before people wake up and say, gosh, you know, we're going to be freezing and hungry in the dark if this keeps up. Yeah. We've got an Australian government at the moment who think that we can supply baseload power through a very small number of wind turbines, offshore wind farms and also solar, they want to get rid of coal, they want to get rid of gas, they think gas is just as bad as coal. They don't want to talk about nuclear, they're too scared that it might blow up on them. Um, <laughs> so they've got this primitive kind of 1940s way of running government. And I'm I'm hoping that we get actually to the state where we actually go into blackout for months at a time, the country falls on its knees, everyone loses their jobs, and then finally some common sense will strike. Yeah, I have a sad feeling that that is going to have to happen. I mean, I'd love it if people would wake up without having to have that happen. But people seem to need a kick in the head. You yeah. know, if you bring up the kinds of things that I bring up, people call you names. They say, oh, you're a climate change denier. I say, uh, no, climate's changing all the time. Yeah. I deny that I deny climate change. I'm a denial denier. <laughs> mm. So, I mean... The trouble is the environmentalists have been unbelievably successful in their propaganda. And, you know, this is something we have to fight back against. And, you know, I'm finding people left, right and center are starting to wake up, but it's yeah. going to take a little longer. I think you're right. Um, you have a new article from January the 5th titled Global Warming Fears Based on an Imaginary Temperature. What do you mean by an imaginary temperature? Yeah, sure. They talk about global temperature as if there's somewhere in the world there's a global temperature thermometer maintained by a global temperature staff. <laughs> but what in reality they do is they add up thousands of temperatures all over the world and then they play with it in computers. They weight it differently and they end up with this so-called global average temperature. But temperature cannot be averaged, okay? It's very much like the telephone number okay you could have a telephone number let's say this is a phone book and there's thousands of phone numbers you could all add them up and you could come up with an average number if you call that number are you going to get the average person you know it doesn't it doesn't make any <laughs> no. sense there, there are some uh, variables there are variables like height and weight that you can add up and then divide by the number of samples and actually get an average but temperature is a property Okay, this tie, okay, it's a bluish tie. Now, let's say I went to Walmart and I, am I going to get the color, the average color of a tie at Walmart? No, it's a quality and temperature yeah. is a quality. It's yeah. not something that can be added up, let alone averaged. So all that really matters, you know, even if you could calculate an average temperature, there's nobody who experiences it. We all live in regions. We live in a particular city or whatever. What matters is what's happening where we live. This kind of fictitious average, I mean, who cares what it is? Nobody cares. <laughs> you know, it's funny. Can I just raise something about this? It's an anecdote. It's not any kind of causation, but it's a, a story about correlation. I remember starting at a school when I was a young boy. We were surrounded in our classroom by grass, by dirt, by the ability to walk outside of the classroom and kick a football, throw a ball. Um, it wasn't a concrete jungle. And then when... 
I turned 13, the school modernised, more buildings were built. Concrete then filled the grass. It filled the dirt ways. It filled the corridors. Everywhere you went, it was asphalt, dark asphalt. And yeah, from that moment that. on, everyone in the school complained about how hot it was. This is oh, back in the 70s. And people are talking about, oh, we've had a terrible period of 10 years of hot weather. <laughs> and it was only when I started to look at the scaremongering associated with you know, climate change over the past 15 to 20 years that I realised back when I was at school, the reason why it's got hotter was because of an increased population concreting everything they came across. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And, you know, it's in, they call that the urban heat island effect. And, you know, Atlanta in Georgia and the United States, they call it hot Atlanta. When they take infrared pictures from in space, they can see it's much, much hotter than the surrounding land. And, you know, one of the reasons that temperatures have risen near cities is because, you know, 50 years ago, they put a temperature sensor in the airport. And it was a long way out of the city. But since then, the city has engulfed the airport. Okay, so the airport is it's actually sensing the urban heat island. And that's yeah. why I don't care when I hear that particular cities have set records. Last summer, we heard all kinds of cities set records. And I say, well, so what? I mean, this is the urban heat island as the city yeah. grows. It's getting hotter. So what matters is what's happening in a, in a larger area like a state. And that's why the NOAA database, and people can check it out on the web, one temperature, one record. It wasn't even temperature. It was hailstone size in the whole of 2023. <laughs> so, yeah, this is based largely on fake science. It's, it's yeah. not real. I want to take a break, and I know we're about to end this interview, but you are such an interesting character, uh, a very learned person. I'd love to stretch our interview out for another 10 minutes, if I may. Sure. Yeah, for Let's sure. take a break. I'll come back after a quick break, and we'll return with Tom Harris on TNT. Here's a bushfire fact. Bushfires can occur without warning. So if you're travelling during bushfire season, here are three simple steps to remember. One. Check the fire danger rating before you go. The higher the fire danger rating, the more dangerous the conditions. It may be safer to replan your trip. 2. Think about the area you're going to and what you would do if a fire started. How would you escape the area if you needed to? And where would you go? Check if there's a neighbourhood safer place. Three. It's dangerous to drive through smoke or fire. If you can't find a way to avoid the fire, park in a cleared area, face the car towards the fire, and turn the engine off. Then lie on the floor and cover yourself to protect yourself from radiant heat. Live bushfire ready. For more helpful tips, visit myfireplan.com.au today. While serving in Afghanistan, I was hit by sniper fire. The fighting was so intense, the medevac chopper was barely able to land. In the hospital, I was given a 5% chance to live. It's a good thing math wasn't my best subject. Today, I visit classrooms and share my story. I talk to kids about dealing with life's struggles. I tell them, with a little help and a lot of work, that you can overcome any challenge. DAV helps veterans like Adam get the benefits they've earned. They help more than a million veterans every year in life-changing ways. I know that some struggles are big and some are small, but they're all struggles, and you have to learn to get through them. With support from DAV, more veterans like me can live their best life. And as a new father, 
I have one more reason to keep on keeping on. My victory is being there for the next generation. Adam Alexander, may your victories inspire many more. Support more victories for veterans. Go to DAV.org. You're listening to Chris Smith on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. I'm with Tom Harris, and uh, we're talking about climate change. Um, Tom, what are the goals of the International Climate Science Coalition? Well, our main objective, actually, is to get people to think about this field in a sensible way. We want people to actually look at real-world data. You know, there's a group in the United States called the Right Climate Stuff. These are ex-NASA engineers and astronauts. In fact, a couple of them actually walked on the moon. And they've analyzed the data as to what's really happening in the real world, not these computer models that make forecasts for the future. Mm. And that's what we're doing as well. I mean, we just published a couple of reports, the most recent one on December 7th, talking about, you know, what does the data actually show when you look at it with respect to climate, you know, extreme weather and, you know, sea level and, and all those things. And, you know, what you find actually across the board is that there is no real world data to support the climate scare. So they base it entirely on computer models of the future. Okay. Now, if you go back 30 years and you plug in what the conditions were, the, you know, the temperature at that time, and you run the models through to the present with the emissions that actually occurred, you end up with a 200% um, greater temperature, higher temperature than what actually is there. <laughs> In other words, relying on models is fraught with danger and inaccuracy. That's right. If I had a stockbroker and every time he made a forecast, he was 200% out, I think I'd get a new stockbroker. <laughs> and yet they're using, they're using those models to forecast climate disaster. And they do it over and over and over. You know, one of the things that really concerns me, Chris, is that a country like Canada... You know, we're so worried about global warming. <laughs> right now, it's like minus 10 outside. Yes. And, you know, I don't know if you're aware of this, but the Lancet uh, newspaper or magazine, it's a scientific journal yep. in the UK, they actually analyzed millions of deaths across the world that were caused by temperature. And they found that 20 times more people died due to the cold mm. than due to the heat. And this is one of the big concerns I have because... We have various scientists, for example, at the Polkovo uh, Observatory near St. Petersburg in Russia, who study the sun. And the sun is entering into what's called a grand solar minimum around 2060. That's when all the cycles of the sun, short cycles, long cycles, they all hit rock bottom at the same, same time. And the last time that occurred, you know, several centuries ago, the Thames River in London froze a meter thick, yeah. okay? It never freezes now. So the big concern is not global warming, but global cooling, which we have no control over because it's driven largely by the sun. So we're trying to get people to open their minds, listen to both sides and make intelligent decisions. Yeah, very, very true. I've spoken to, and you would know both of these gentlemen, Richard Linsden and also um, John Christie. John Christie, once a co-author of the IPCC in the early stages, both men have said to me, and I paraphrase here, um, they have both said to me, thank heavens it's warming slightly because yeah. if we're heading in the other direction, we really are talking about extinction. Yeah, and, you know, one of the big concerns, Chris, is that there are groups in the United States 
who are already putting particulate matter into the atmosphere by balloon, you can actually pay a certain amount to supposedly offset your amount of global warming based on the amount of CO2 you're putting in based on their computer models. Now, they want to do that en masse across the world. Now, that is a really big concern because, you know, we're actually very far into the interglacial warm period between glaciations. And what could happen is that instead of the next glacial coming in 10,000 years or 5,000 years, if we purposely cool the Earth yeah. by putting in geoengineering, putting particulate matter high in the atmosphere, who knows? We could trip the Earth yeah. into the next glacial period. So I think that, you know, this is this is the real threat that they try to geoengineer the earth to try to stop warming when in fact we're headed for cooling don't meddle with nature is the point <laughs> and the other point is the last point that i want to raise with you there are there are many things we can do on every continent of the planet that can yeah. that can mediate um uh, ameliorate um effects of changing weather whether whether that be hot temperatures or, or or cold temperatures we can make things bearable no matter where we live on this planet and that's where our money should go and that would be a we in the ocean compared with the trillions we're spending on global boiling yeah exactly and a great example is what they do in india Every kilometer along the Bay of Bengal coast, they have a multi-story concrete storm shelter. So when a typhoon is coming in or a cyclone is coming in, they don't have to jump in their car and drive like crazy like they do in Florida. All they have to do is walk a half a kilometer or less and go up two stories and stay there for a couple of days until the storm's gone. Brilliant. So, I mean, there are lots of things you can do. It's adaptation. It's and adaptation. that's what we've done forever. <laughs> adaptation. We're smart enough to adapt. You're exactly right. Tom Harris it's been a wonderful experience having you on the program. I wish you all the best with your work with the International Climate Science Coalition. Change minds, make people open their brains and not fall for the fear-mongering because it's going to end up, you know, bad for all of us. Thank you very much for your time. Yeah, it was great, Chris. Thank you. Good on you. Tom Harris is his name, Executive Director of the International Climate Science Coalition. He's got that article at the moment. As I say, on January the 5th, it was published, Global Warming Fears Based on an Imaginary Temperature. Very easy without giving you all sorts of websites and numbers and dashes. Just, you know, you can Google him, Tom Harris, Global Warming Fears Based on an Imaginary Temperature to get that latest article. Fantastic to have him on the program and a stack of commentary on our chat box. Um, for instance, Chimp Watch has said, um, there is no debate of both sides of climate change evangel evangelist or the other sciences. Climate on this large planet is very complex from astronomical to underground tectonic plate movements and undersea volcanic actions things can't be seen. So in other words, there's so much we don't know. And in particular, we don't know about the sun because we can't go there. What more could we learn if we went to the sun and realised that it was having a causational impact on the temperature of the planet? We don't know that. So no one can say that the theory that the sun impacts our temperature more, you can't dispel that because we don't know. Anyway, these are conversations we will have for as long as I broadcast, no matter where I'm broadcasting in or at or at or with, at this stage it's TNT and I continue 
um, to get people like the Tom Harris's of the world to speak common sense and reality to make people understand. Now, the biggest story in the United States today, I would have thought, would be the appearance of Hunter Biden in his own contempt of Congress hearing. Um, U.S. House publicans are moving towards holding Hunter Biden in contempt of Congress for not testifying in their impeachment probe of his father, President Joe Biden, after he set off pandemonium with an unexpected capital appearance. Now, Republican lawmakers in both the House Oversight and Judiciary Committees both committees, of course, have been very, very aggressive in trying to get to the bottom of Joe Biden's role in Hunter's business dealings. Well, they held the votes on Wednesday after the younger Biden refused to appear for a closed-door deposition last month, instead saying he would testify publicly, which they rebuffed. Hunter Biden appeared without notice on Wednesday at the House Oversight Committee's meeting on the matter. You probably heard some of the reports in our news, sparking arguments between lawmakers, some of whom scolded him for the surprise. You are not above the law, said Nancy Mace. Nancy Mace's comments were featured in that last news bulletin. House Republicans allege the president and his family improperly profited from policy actions in which Biden participated when he was vice president from 2009 through until 2017. The White House and Hunter Biden deny any wrongdoing. Um, it goes on and on. But, you know, if you have a look at some of the footage, which some people may have done already because it was a number of hours ago, but you'll see the smirk on his face. He's, he's such a smart backside. He was there smirking and and there was a, a obviously a, a comrade next to him and they were, you know, elbowing each other and <laughs> uh, just huffing and, and sighing and, and smiling and tut-tutting. It was as arrogant as you've ever seen this bloke in your life. And uh, I encourage you to go and have a look because I'm sorry, this is the fellow that uh, treats the American taxpayer like a fool. And the fact that, given the evidence that has been presented, that the president was not directly involved in his business dealings, I don't buy. I simply don't buy. I didn't think I'd be convinced, i got to tell you, but I certainly am now, um, the other political issue that's been uh, gaining headlines today is the big debate that occurred between Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley, another GOP debate. Um, I've got to say, I only saw a little bit of it because I was preparing for the show, but there was no love loss between these two. Uh, not as much hostility as there is between Vivek Ramaswamy and Nikki Haley, but certainly enough to uh, provide additional entertainment. Um, so Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis sparred in Iowa ahead of Monday's caucus in the Hawkeye State. The one-on-one -on -one contest marked one of the final chances for Haley and Ron DeSantis to make their cases to voters before the first caucus in the 2024 race for the White House. It's getting down to the business section of um, this race. Former President Donald Trump met the qualifying criteria for Wednesday's debate, but decided to skip it because he skipped every one of the debates. He may as well continue the cycle. Uh, Trump participated Anyway, in a town hall on Fox News, as is his want, that started at the same time as CNN's debate, no other GOP candidates qualified for the Iowa debate due to their low polling numbers. But I guess you've got to say, then there were two, and now there are three, 
How will this play out in the weeks and months ahead? We'll watch that very, very closely. Um, so many comments on what we discussed with Tom Harris. I'm quite happy to take your calls on this subject. If you'd like to dial in, you can do so from the United States or Canada on one 6425 from the UK, 033-0024-1026. And from Australia or New Zealand, 1-800-670-310. We have got a big hour coming up. Do not go anywhere. Spread the word. Get people to listen in because we're going to have Mark Latham come up on the program. I'll tell you how the police reacted to our investigation into illicit drugs being sold blatantly on Facebook. We'll do all of that. And uh, news executive and multimedia host Jason Morrison also appearing on the program as well. So it's a fantastic hour ahead. Do not go anywhere. This is Chris Smith on TNT. TNT.